So, uh, this is the Q&A portion of the show, and uh, Mary has graciously agreed to be part of the Q&A portion of the show, in part because she would not agree to actually preach one of the sermons in the Song of Songs series. Well, actually, I'll just let you know that um, communication is key in marriage, (laughs) and um, the reason I am here is because I was asked to preach, and I said, no way. And he said, well, how about a discussion, if we have a, a, you know, where you both do it together and do question and answer. And I said, I'd consider it. A few weeks later, I found it in the bulletin. <laughs> so every once in a while. <clears throat> uh, so here, here's the plan. Um, we will just throw it open for questions. And in the event that uh, there are not any forthcoming, we will use some of the ones that have been sent in through the website. Uh, or I will just make some up. So, <clears throat> there were some sent through the website, yeah. So, uh, let me, uh, let's okay. open it up, yeah. Can I just say, so you know, we are not the experts. <laughs> um, but, you know, I pray that God will use, I, I think of the verse, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, for trials bring about perseverance and perseverance, perseverance character. We have a lot of character in our marriage. And um, God has placed in our own marriage of 17? 16. 16. Yes. We've known each other for 17. 16 years. And, um, it only and feels then, like 17. <laughs> <laughs> feels like more than that. Um, of, of our 16 years of marriage and everything we've watched our friends and our neighbors and our acquaintances, our colleagues, um, go through. They're not things that I would necessarily have wanted to even have to think through, but God has placed them in our lives, and we're grateful that he has given us uh, his strength and his power and his words, and I have learned that he is bigger than anything I can think of. So, I'll start with one that came through the website. Question, does Song of Songs have anything to say about the importance of having emotional intimacy if you want physical intimacy? And the answer is, um, not specifically. Uh, The Song of Songs, as we've seen, is this collection of love poetry. Um, In in many ways, it's... it's, uh, um, it sort of is like a record album in that you've got different, you know, remember back before we had MP3 players when we had those things? Um, you, you've got different songs that are sort of often around the same theme, but they're collected on the same disc. And uh, so it jumps from place to place, and there's not always a linear narrative that you can discern going through the song. But what it presumes and what it expresses is a relationship between these two people, between the lover and the beloved, that has both physical and emotional intimacy. Uh, where, where you don't have one or the other, and you don't necessarily have one that leads to the other. You have both going full blast um, throughout the whole throughout the whole song. Um, and uh, and as I was reflecting on that question, as I got it, um, it, it occurred to me that that if if we tend to think about physical and emotional intimacy as an either or proposition. Uh, or more accurately, if what you have in a marriage is one and not the other, then you, you've got a problem there. Then you're missing part of, part of the equation. 
um, and, uh, and and the danger of thinking of it in in that sense in, in that way is that is that you you miss out on the importance of both. I think I would say um, this is one of the lines that I'll be standing in in heaven of questions uh, for God of why did He make men and women so different, um, and I will be curious of His answer. Uh, but I do think if if we're being honest. I, you know, and it's not always the same. This is not always for every woman or for every man. Um, but it seems that the woman seems to need the emotional connection before she wants the physical. And the man sort of needs the physical connection to, to want the emotional. So it seems sort of backwards to me um, that it would be more helpful if they both got there the same way. That being said, I don't think that uh, what God intended in a marriage of two people um, where you become one um, that one is exclusive without the other and I think a lot of it is more about attitude Um, there are times when maybe emotionally I'm not connected and yet I still need to act physically because I know that that will bring us but my attitude is not one of oh I just need to do this it is, oh, this is a beautiful thing that God has created, and I share with one person. And he only has that privilege. And when I go into it with that attitude, it does help me to get to the place that I want physical intimacy, even if I'm not emotionally connected. And I think vice versa, you know, I've seen Jason patiently wait as we talk. (laughs) So that I know that he too, it's about his attitude and not necessarily, you know, it's him loving me and me loving him. And it doesn't always, always uh, look the same way all all the time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. There are, I I confess I have bought flowers with hostility in my heart. (laughs) (laughs) And I've looked at them with hostility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Barr has a question. And you can, by the way, one second. You, the, the little index cards in your, in your uh, bulletins are in case you want to not forget one or if you would like to write one up and, and just send it up, uh, feel free to do that. Go ahead, Mary. want the second part? Do you want to give me the second part, or do you want me to answer that first one first? It doesn't indicate that they are. Well, yes, to say the least. Um, yes, uh, it, it, there's, not, there's, there's no wedding scene in the Song of Songs, and there's some commentators who have looked at some of the passages, like you have the one, you know, here comes Solomon and his chariot um, arrayed with, you know, majestic banners and such. And some people have said, oh, well, that, you know, that describes this, this wedding ceremony. And I think that's pushing a little bit. I think um, there's a sense in which, the, again, remember, this is poetry, right? Um, there's a sense in which this, this story of these lovers is being told um, in places independent of social um, context, 
right? So in many ways, these two people have got their thing going on, and they're doing that in different places. Outdoors, they're, you know, in her mom's house at one point. Um, they're in, in their own place at another point. They're, they, they go out on vacation and stay in the, either the villages or the henna bushes, depending on how you understand that phrase. So you have the, the two um, described as, as having these, these uh, loving encounters. What's that? No, not orgies, no, because there's nobody else involved. It's just them. Yeah, no, that's an important thing, yeah, just the two of them. So, um, but, it, but you don't have that specifically placed in the context of marriage. Now, God in his wisdom gave us an entire book all about sex, right? But plenty of the stuff he's given us in the rest of Scripture talks about the importance of placing sex in the context of marriage, right? So it's not just one or the other, right, that they, they work together. Um, and yes, as you say, the sex outside of marriage bit is uh, frowned upon. Yes? Yeah, and, and again, it's you know you have these dream sequences. You have these things where where you, you you can't tell a clear linear story. It's it's sort of like if you've had the dream where you know one minute you're in the hardware store and the next you're in your elementary school with your wearing only your underwear, and <clears throat> yeah, maybe you haven't had that one, but uh, <laughs> but the, you know the nature of dreams is you go from place to place and you 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 sort of don't always have the connection, um, but it somehow feels like it makes sense right there. Um, so I, I, you get that too, I think, listening to music or reading poetry or certain types of literature where you get you know, a, a, a scene shifting in a way that, that doesn't, doesn't necessarily make, make uh, rational sense. But, it, but there, there's a sense in which if you kind of detach the rational analytic portion of your brain as you're reading this and you try to read it as poetry and you try to kind of get into it, then you will experience it in a different way. And uh, I won't say it will make more sense because that will contradict everything I just said. But um, you, you can kind of get caught up in this, these, these dream sequences that, that she's having. That's part of what poetry is, right? Yeah. I mean, poetry is, is not necessarily, can you pick it apart and completely understand it? It's, it's there for beauty. It's a love poem. It's, I don't know that we can necessarily take this and say, I need to make sense of all of this. Sometimes it just is. But like Jason said, you can't, you, you have to remember it's one of the, how many books again? 66. Thank you. It's one of the 66. I keep getting confused with 88. There's 88 piano keys. There's 66, <laughs> one of 66 books, and you can't just take it and, and hold it on its own. It stands together. So that's where, you know, it's one in the whole Bible. Another question. Darcy.
Right. There, um, what Darcy's referring to there is the fact that uh, in Toro, remember we read that that uh, during the menstrual cycle, during the certain month when, when a woman is menstruating, uh, the week, sorry, when, of the month when the woman's menstruating, that uh, women and men are supposed to stay separate from one another. And then, you know, depending on how orthodox you are, you're um, uh, more cautious about making sure you don't violate that. So you kind of expand the bracket out a couple days just to make sure that you, you don't mess up. Um, and so, yes, one of the things that, that can come of that, of course, is if you've been separated from that long, then for that long, that can produce uh, a certain longing, especially if, as is, as is customary um, in, in uh, certainly in, in Orthodox Judaism, uh, there's the understanding of Sabbath blessing, that it's a mitzvah, it's a, it's a good deed to, to make love on the Sabbath. And so if you, you miss a Sabbath or two, depending on how, where it falls on the calendar, then you'll especially be, be uh, eager to, to come at that. Um, there is uh, there's a place in, in 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul says um, that uh, that husbands and wives should not deprive each other except for a time so that they may devote themselves to prayer, but then they should come back together so that they may not be tempted. Isn't the word right? mutual in there too? Isn't it yes, somewhere? right, except by mutual, yeah, by okay. mutual consent, right, so that they may devote themselves to prayer but then they should make sure that that doesn't last too long. They need to come back together because, Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, one of the things that marriage is there for is to enable us to have the proper venue in which our human sexual desires can be expressed and our, our sexual needs can be fulfilled. And if, if you go uh, too long without that, Paul is saying, then uh, you're more vulnerable to being tempted to sin sexually uh, as well as other ways uh, in, 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 uh, in the rest of your life. I, mean, I, I will confess that when, when we were married young, we, I was 23 when we got married, and when we were first married, if we went more than five days or so, I just started thinking crazy. Major, the, the world was not like, it was like having, you know, strange filters, it was like looking through a kaleidoscope, things just weren't right. Sorry, I was just thinking of the premarital class that we went through at Grace, and they had a, a question that you filled out, and then you filled out separately and looked together, and one of them was like, how often do you think you'll have sex? And I think the question, you answered it I like... I like three times a day or something. <laughs> and my answer was way on the conservative side. So I remember looking at it thinking, oh. <laughs> but, but yeah, what, and what, what, uh, what Paul also says, it's very important in there, he actually uses the word fraud. He says, if, it's basically, if, you, if you're married... And if you are not providing your spouse with what it is that a spouse provides, and that's not just, incidentally, not just sex, but that has to do with, with a, a physical, uh, with, with emotional affection, with being present, with caring for them, um, then, then you are defrauding your spouse. Basically, it's, it's, it's like you have, you have, uh, you know, made it, made an agreement. You've come together under certain terms, and then you've gone and, and you've moved the goalpost, uh, to mix the metaphor. Uh, I remember the old Sam Kinison routine. Remember this? Remember Sam Kinison? We talked about like right after marriage, the wife you know takes the penis and puts it in the refrigerator and he says, "You won't need that anymore." <clears throat> you don't remember that? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, does that answer your question? Yeah. I think there is that. I'm, I'm going to just mention about the longing thing because there are times like after a baby, you know, or if someone is in the service, or quite honest, if you're free, if you're single, you know, that desire. And, and what do you do with that or when it's not, you know, when you, when you are not in a position or, or a time in, in hang on, let me, in a time uh, of 
space that you have right in the moment to be able to have relationships, you know, whatever the circumstances be. Um, I think that is, it, it's okay to be longing for it, you know, instead of, we have to be careful because in our mind, you can sort of, uh, I'm not saying this well, you can detach yourself and, and, and instead not want it, you know, build up bricks and walls instead of thinking longingly about it. Like if your spouse is away for a week, you know, it should be your spouse that you're thinking of. You know, it should be wondering when he gets home. It should be wondering, and I don't always do a great job at that. I'm, I'm you know, confessing that now. You know, but um, I think that you, you need to be thinking that, and I think that helps so that when that time comes that you can't, then the desire is not sitting at home thinking, I can't believe he left me now. This is the worst week. You know, all the kids have this, and I have this, and whatever, and why isn't he helping? And, oh, my gosh, he didn't even do his laundry before he left, or, you know, whatever. You know, those negative things instead, thinking longingly and, you know. I think I've always done the laundry before. Yeah, I know you have. Yeah. So it was a bad, yeah. bad analogy. No, 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 that's okay. That's all right. Other, other questions? Yes, Kristen. <laughs> whatever you like. Whatever, whatever you prefer. <laughs> Commando style is not prohibited in scripture either. <clears throat> Any other questions? <laughs> Any better questions than that one? Yes, Jen Hobson. going to do the single part right now because it, it popped at me when you said about you know what is it that we walk through um, two things I think I would say number one is so often I think we believe a lie that this is just a season we're in a bad season you know so it's okay that we don't feel connected or that our relationship is not as close or that we're not having sex as much because this is a season you know, we're going through a really, you know, whether it be kids or a dying parent or a really time, busy time at work or whatever. And um, I think that's a lie because we need to learn to live in the season because after the season comes a new one. And that new one doesn't be, make it any easier. It just makes it different. So I believe that people don't, don't focus. It, it is a relationship. And it is a difficult one. The, the very beginning of our marriage, our first year was just horrendous. I had waited and waited and waited for this happily ever after, and it wasn't what I thought. Not at all. And we had so many problems. We didn't know how to, to, to communicate. We didn't know how to fight well. We, we, there's everything. I mean, you know, we didn't know how to make two one. And, um, yeah. I'm going off in a whole bunch of different directions here. That was a loaded question. There's Okay, there was, sorry. There was a turning point. I'm going to go here first. There's a turning point in our relationship in that first year of marriage, and it was Christmas because we, at the worst possible time, it is happening while we're at his Aunt Judd and Deb's out in Chicago with all the family there, and we're having this huge argument. And I remember saying, 
if you are so um, miserable, if you are so miserable, I love you enough to let you go. I, I just can't do this to you. And he turned to me and said, if you think I'm leaving, you're mistaken. If you try to leave, I'll come after you. And that was the place that I knew he wasn't going anywhere. And I knew I wasn't going anywhere. So we had some options. Option number one was we could continue being miserable. We could do something about it. And number three, there was no other option. We took divorce off the table. That word has never come up again. You might have thought it, but it's never come up again. Uh, homicide, maybe. <laughs> That's a better one. <laughs> but, um, and from the different points, and I'd like to say that that was the only time that we ever had to have that discussion, but it's not. Because time and time again, we come to a place saying, I'm miserable. And it might be when he's not, but I am. Or it might be when I'm not, but he is. If one person is miserable, there's a problem. You, if you are feeling happy, you can't just say, our marriage is great, because the other person, you two becoming one, half of you is not okay. So therefore, you have to decide that you're going to work on it. Now, that being said, the sooner you can come to a conclusion that someone is miserable, the easier it is. Because if you let it go longer and longer and longer and longer and longer, it's harder and harder and harder and harder. Not impossible, but it's way harder. So I, I think that that season thing that I was talking about, that you think it's a season, don't wait. If something's there, there's a problem and you need to discuss it. You need to talk about it. You need to get help. Whatever, whatever, whatever is possible, this is the most important relationship apart from God. And that's the first thing you can do. And you can, that's the first thing you can push your spouse to do, too. But ap apart from that, that is the most important. Your kids will benefit most if you guys are strong. Your, your, your ministry will benefit the most if your marriage is strong. Your friendships, your work, everything makes a difference. But you got it, it requires a ton of effort. Oh, back to that uh, happily ever after. I, I told Jason I'm going to go through all the books that say that and, and write the word, and they worked really, really hard to live happily ever after. Because you write in books. I write in books. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, the things that I, that I see, uh, Jen, and it's not just in you know, our congregation, it's congregations like ours, colleagues, when I talk to them. As I said early on in the series, um, don't think that if I mention a specific uh, story, it's necessarily about you. Um, it's very easy to coast, and it's very easy if things don't, if you don't, if there's no fire that has to be put out immediately, it's easy to direct your energies to other things, whether it's to career or to education, uh, to they dealing. They can be good things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're, often they're good things. Yes, children or elderly parents that you're caring for or there's a you know a, a crisis going on and you know you got to fix you know like I, I don't know if you saw on the cover of the bulletin we we went for the romance package at Home Depot uh, maybe you're you know redoing your bathroom um, but uh, but it's very easy if if there's not a presenting issue so to speak in your marriage to just let that coast and to not give that the full attention and the full energy 
in all dimensions that it requires, emotional and physical, making sure you're getting time together. Um, and and the, where that gets to be a problem is I think probably now is a time when, it, when infidelity is easier than ever before. Um, in part, pornography is so easily accessible. It's so, you know, when I was growing up, you had to either find a magazine in a storm drain or, or slip it inside a Rolling Stone and buy that at, at the Royal Farm Store and, and hope you didn't get caught. Um, nowadays, exposure on the Internet is, is, is ubiquitous. It's very common. Um, you know, when, when you go away, that, that, that week that I go away on, on um, for a conference every year in November, you know, you... You go into your hotel room and you can choose right away. Are you going to shut off the adult movies on the TV? Or are you going to have those available for later on if you feel lonely or or bored? You know, the, there. I, mean, I remember I was in I was in San Diego, and I, I think this is when I was, I was in, when I was in San Diego. I was sick the whole week, so I may have hallucinated this, but I'm not. I, I don't think I did. I remember looking out my window from the hotel and seeing the the uh, van from a. It was the courtesy van from a strip club pull up in front of Hooters. And, you know, a bunch of apparently convention goers got off and got onto this van that was taking them to the strip club. And so, you know, there, there are, of course, you know, other people that you can meet at, at, uh, when, when you're uh, traveling on business. There's the, you know, the, the fact is that there are websites. I, I am told this by reliable people. I have not investigated this personally. But there are websites where basically you can go and try to find a, you know, no strings attached uh, extramarital affair with somebody else who's just interested in a no strings attached extramarital affair, and it's very easy to, much easier to do that discreetly and without leaving any tracks and anybody knowing about it nowadays. So, it, at a time when we probably have people who are busier than ever and have more commitments, seems like everybody's not only working a job but they're also getting another degree or they also have a side business. Um, it, at the same time, the temptations and the opportunity for infidelity is, is uh, I think, more present than ever. So what that means is then that avoiding infidelity isn't just about trying not to do things that are not faithful. It's about passionately and intentionally pursuing fidelity, right? So fidelity, being faithful in your marriage, isn't just not being unfaithful. It's, it's being faithful uh, within your marriage in, in, uh, in, in, all, in all aspects. It's not easy to do, and, of course, we're all going to fail on doing that on a regular basis, but that is uh, but but that is what what we're called to do. That's the kind of investment that we need to make. What are you looking for, dear? I'm looking for the in Proverbs the, the part that it talks about uh, uh, just the better to it. live in the corner of the no, house. No, 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 no. The corner of the roof than inside the house with a <laughs> no, nagging wife. No, you know where that one is. Yeah. I don't have to ask. It's Proverbs five, yeah. six, or seven, and right. I'm, I, I think of a couple. There's, it's, I think it's also in James. I never know where anything is, so anyone can scream it out if they know. It's the idea of resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will come to you. When those times happen, you just immediately have to choose God. And, and in Proverbs, it talks about just running. Run. Run like crazy. When you feel those temptations, you got to flee. Don't right. walk slowly. Turn completely around and run. Yeah. Run the other way. It will never bring you happiness. Right. Paul says, avoid sexual immorality like the plague. In Peterson's translation, I love that one. I'm going to go back to one other thing as I'm thinking about different things. Um, I want to give some practical. So I, I, we were talking about, you know, it's a hard relationship, and what do you do? What do you do? And, and some of you might say, well, that, okay, that's great. And how do we get there? And besides help and, you know, whatever. I want to go back and give you a practical. Uh, um, 
the best thing you can do is, is have a relationship with God and pursue that daily. Pursue that with all your might. Um, and uh, whether it means, you know, I've just recently started doing this. I haven't done this a lot. I've done it in the past, but not just recently. Um, I have a book. That I'm not that I'm recommending the book, uh, but it's a Power of a Praying Wife. And there's a prayer in it. I don't read the chapters. I just pray it. Every day before I get my shower, I, I read the one on prayer uh, for a husband and also for kids. Um, and I go through that. So every day I'm praying a different thing for my husband. And it goes through a whole bunch of different categories. And I just start my day that way. I start my day in prayer for, for Jason, for the many different aspects. And I actually, on purpose, always read his first. You know, the two are both there. I always put the kids one underneath and make sure I read his first. I pray for him first, and then I pray for my kids. Um, so that can be a small little type of thing. Before you get out of bed, just say a prayer, you know. Um, but, uh, oh, what was I going to say? Um, time with God will never come back empty. You might not have the mountaintop experience that you want. You might not think that you're getting anything, but later on, it, it, words will come back to you. Um, it just never draws empty. I, I mean, he, the whole picture of marriage is, is God and, and his relationship to you. I mean, there, there's sin. There's sin. But there's also forgiveness. There's forgiveness. And then there's repentance. God is all about restoration. God is all about making new. That's who he is. That what, that's what he wants. One day, I'm going to get, get to, I don't want to keep saying heaven either, I'm going to get to eternity, and I'm going to see Jason for who he fully meant him to be, and I'm going to say, I always knew that could be you. I can't wait for that day. <laughs> but in turn, he's going to look at me and see the same thing. And that's my job now. My job now is to try to equip him to be all that God intends him to be. And his job is to help equip me. So if I need to say, you know what, I think it's great if you go away to a conference, even if my kids are very young, even if this is the worst, well, you can plan it, you know, let's find a time, but you've got to do it. You can't just start thinking, you know, you need to take a retreat, <laughs> you know, and, and that'll just happen, Okay. I feel like you need to take a retreat. Let's put the calendar right now and figure out when you're going. You know, and I've done that too. I have gotten away for days. One thing we did from the get-go, because Farouk and Mimi Yacoub recommended it, for those of you who know uh, them from Grace, they said you must have a date night. And we started that premarital. And we had a date night. And even when it wasn't easy, no one touches. It's changed out throughout the year. No one touched Thursday night. Someone called and said, I have, you have a meeting? I'm sorry, I already have something scheduled. Now we could, you know, change it. But even when we had our first child, the first week, God bless Aunt Wendy. She watched our kids every Thursday night. Not every Thursday night, but majority of them. Um, and it was, you know, beneficial. You can do that. We, we've also shared with other couples, you know, saying, I'll take your kids Thursday, you take them Friday. Uh, whatever you need to do, you must spend time together. You know, also spend time, or, uh, so that's one thing. That's, I'm, I'm off on the God thing again. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, you have to put him first. And uh, there's a C.S. Lewis quote that I always read when we do a premarital class that says, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, 
I shall now love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving toward a state in which shall I, not, I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed but increased. Now, that being said, I, I will mention one other thing, Jen. Um, we, don't, we live in a fallen world, and it makes me so sad because the other thing that happens is you don't always have two partners that are seeking hard after God. And that's where the brokenness, and it, that's what tears my heart out. Um, how do you make someone follow hard after God? How do you make someone spend time with God? How do you make them hear from God? Um, you can't. You can't. Yeah. Right. You can't change. How do I make my husband change? You can't. But I can pray for him. And I can be that light that God is showing me to be. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Other questions? Yes, Ron. I don't think it does, and here's why. I bet if you met the people who composed Song of Songs, they would look quite ordinary. Um, and I bet if somebody were to do a movie with the characters in it, they would pick the most beautiful people and all. But the Song of Songs is it's a, it's a, it's fantasy, it's poetry, uh, but I think where that cashes out in our real lives is that you have people who adore each other as they are, right? So there's a sense in which when she praises him as being as glorious as Solomon coming with all of his chariots, um, like if, if, if they were not in the context of an intensely committed, passionate, physical, romantic relationship, they would laugh. And everybody else would do, right? But there, for them in that moment, she is seeing him that way, and he is seeing her that way. And you get you get all these, these you know these places where they have these you know they're cataloging each other's body parts and talking about how wonderful they are, right? Um, again, you, you objectively uh, might disagree with that appraisal, um, but uh, this is how they feel about each other. And, and it's important. They're, he's not just saying, you know, I, I like boobies. He's saying, I love your breasts. They are like two, you know, twin fawns of a gazelle, right? Which I guess was a compliment. Um, uh, so so I, I think as it is and read as it's given to us, I don't, think, I don't think it is. But, yes, there's the danger of objectification, right? Especially men tend to objectify visually uh, women. And, and in part, the answer to that is uh, don't do that because that's dehumanizing, it's degrading, right? But the other part of that is, yes, you were made to want to look at a naked woman and to derive uh, excitement from that, right? This is why you get married to somebody and then she's the naked woman you get to look at, right? That's, that's kind of the deal, right? Joe is looking confused back there, but we'll explain it to him later. <clears throat> it's a problem of stepping in kind of partway through the discussion, 
does, does that answer the question, Ron? Okay, yeah. Well, there's a question that we got on the website I wanted to make sure we addressed. How can a couple maintain intimacy if all the physical parts aren't working the way they were designed to? Oh, I get to do that. Okay. Um, use other ones that are is one answer. Um, but, you know, the, I, I think there is, we are blessed to live in an age where there are a great many medical uh, remedies available for things not working the way that they're supposed to. And so it is not a bad investment in the health of your marriage and therefore the health of your family and the health of your life uh, to do what you need to do to address any medical concerns that come up. And there also can be not just medical concerns. I mean, some of these can have uh, psychological bases, right? So maybe if, if you have been the victim of sexual assault in the past or, or if, you, if you were, you know, involved in, um, in sexual activity uh, before you were married in a way that you now feel ashamed of, um, you may associate certain kinds of sexual acts with that shameful behavior when, in fact, those are perfectly legitimate and wonderful now that you are in, you're married and, and, you know, there's a sense in which, you know, you shouldn't be depriving your spouse of something just because you were involved in that when you shouldn't have been. Um, so there can be, you know, so that may, may mean, uh, getting counseling. That may mean, um, going through, uh, you know, uh, Mary and I are doing this marriage study. That may be useful for some folks. It may be that there's medication you can try to take care of stuff. And it may be that there, you know, there's external assistance that can be available to you. Battery powered, if necessary, uh, if that's what uh, if that's what's necessary to make sure that uh, that you're able to have a, a complete and fulfilling uh, sexual experience. But um, uh, I think also the rea- uh, the expectations. I also think that you can also uh, set unrealistic expectations of thinking that good sex means that simultaneously yeah. <laughs> uh, you come to gratification. In one way, you know, only one way. I just, yeah, there's sometimes you have to think outside the box and make sure that so to speak. he's feeling good, she's feeling good, and that's okay. It still can be a very beautiful thing, and it's still considered sex. One more? Yes, Matthew Winter. Um, well, I, I can tell you as a pastor, <laughs> having spent the summer preaching through this, I can kind of get why people would shy away from it. You know, there's, I mean, I, I, uh, this, is, this was try number three at this. The first two, uh, God struck me down with massive orthopedic injuries so that I wouldn't preach it. So um, I guess there's some people who are not. I mean, frankly, our, our marriage is in a much healthier place now than it was those other times. It may be that the... A couple of years ago, we weren't in a place where it would have been good for me to, to, to preach this series. Um, I think the, um, uh, the, there, there are similar literature in other ancient Near Eastern 
contexts. Other ancient Near Eastern cultures have this kind of literature, and you have similar literature in in Greco-Roman culture. I mean, you know, all, there's lots of love poetry and sex and all sorts of of, liter- of, of cultures. Um, but there's nothing like this in Scripture. And in fact, because there's nothing like this, this is one of those books that the rabbis were kind of like scratching their head about, like, really, does this belong here? Um, Esther was another one. You know, you couldn't, like, the God's name doesn't show up. And so there's no, like, well, is that, you know, we're really supposed to have this in here? It seems unlike the others. You know, they, they, Sesame Street isn't the first one that asked that one of these things are not like the others question. Um, but, but in, I think God led his people to say, no, this belongs here. Right? Same, Revelation, same kind of thing. It, it's not like the other books in the New Testament. But, no, God's people said, no, this, this is supposed to be here. Um, and, and I think um, much like uh, you have uh, some of the other outliers, um, like, say, Ezekiel, for example, um, that seem unlike other texts or have parts of it that are unlike other things you find in Scripture. Um, we're given these things in part, I think, to keep us humble and to keep us from thinking we can define what Scripture ought to be like. And I think of a colleague of mine uh, who was in my, my demon program. He, he preached Song of Solomon a few years ago, and he had this one lady come up after who, you know, was furious that he was preaching all about sex. And he's like, you know, this is in the Bible. I don't think that should even be in the Bible. Like, well, you know, you take that up with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, you want to follow up? Yeah. one of the reasons we do what we do is we try to preach through all of scripture and bring in all sorts of different stuff because it's 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 all there i mean it's all part of the it's all part of the mix and if if you spend too much of your time focusing on one particular type of scripture one particular genre um then you miss the the i think part of the full beauty of of what's in scripture but also more importantly all of what god has revealed to us um and so it is ahead. throughout scripture too. There's other places. There's sex in scripture you know, too. Yes, mm-hmm. it yep. just doesn't maybe spend the whole how many chapters? Six. Eight. Eight chapters on uh, Song of Solomon. You know. Well, uh, I think we should probably close. Mary, would you like to pray to close us? Sure. Father God, I I lift our sexualities to you. Each one of us come to you broken. And we pray for healing. We pray for wholeness. We pray for restoration. For we know that all things are possible through him who gives us strength. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move mightily. I pray for good conversations that, Lord, it wouldn't just end today that if people have questions, concerns, that, Lord, they seek you, they seek others, they they talk about it, because it is in your holy, inspired word. Lord, I thank you for the gift of sex, the beauty expressed between two people, and the privilege of thinking about it all summer and beyond. May you use our time and glorify 
you and your kingdom. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.